0: Welcome! This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker.
1: And I'm Christy Purifoy, and every week we share an out-of-the-ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story, too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations
0: about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves.
1: We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I just want to set the scene for our listeners. <laughs> and I will admit that uh, we still are at times recording remotely. Yeah. So I am currently looking at your lovely face on my computer screen, <laughs> and I'm fortunate I have a very large monitor. So it really oh, is no. like it's things <laughs> like I human wish I sized. didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually perfect. You're not. You're not like weirdly large. You're like you're actually sitting across <laughs> the desk from me, which I really love. But I have a feeling that our listeners might. Have already begun to notice and might go on noticing that our conversations have a new joy and a life in them because we are once again um, able to spend time real time together. Mm. You've um, made a couple visits now up here to to Maplehurst, my home here in Pennsylvania. And so here we are recording uh, on Friday morning. And I'm really looking forward to the weekend because you and your whole family, Peter, the kids, the are dog. coming to Maple everybody. The dog, yes. <laughs> In fact, I um I slipped into Elsa's room this morning and told her because I think I had for you know how it is when you have a lot of kids in the house right. like you're communicating things, but right. it depends on who's in the room. And right. I, I suddenly realized, oh, I don't think Elsa's been around when we've talked about your visit. And so I slipped in and I said, Hey, um, uh, the bake I forgot to tell her about the dog. Oh my gosh, she would love that. But I said, Hey, the bakers are coming this weekend and that means Zoe is coming. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, my sweet youngest child is um She feels things deeply, but you will never know it from her (laughs) expression. But I could tell. I could tell. Instead of her usual sort of monotone, you know, like <laughs> monosyllabic response, I, I heard a little uptick in her voice. And a, oh, oh, okay. And I knew. Oh, she's excited. <laughs> she's excited. <laughs>
0: we have very opposite daughters in terms of how they express right? themselves. Well, Zoe we has had a, We've had a hard week, hard couple weeks because some of our dearest friends that you know too moved away to New Mexico and uh, they had three daughters and are really like Zoe's sisters. And on friday afternoons they used to have art together every friday and uh, amy their mom is an art an artist who would have our kids all through covid they were in our little bubble And it was something to look forward to. And she woke up last Friday and just said to me, I don't know what to do on Fridays. I'm so sad. And so I've worked really hard to try to anticipate and to create moments. So um, I just keep telling her, remember, on Sunday, we're going to Maplehurst, and you'll get to see Coco, the puppy, and Cleo and Coco (laughs) will get to play, and you'll get to be with Elsa. So she is very excited. She has a lot of big feelings and many words about it. (laughs) So... I look forward well, to I seeing said, the two of them because the great thing right. about them is they are both, though, really into creating things oh, out of yeah, like whatever yeah. is handy. I feel like we have pictures from when they were both like toddlers with Play-Doh yes. at your kitchen counter. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yes, All of I this do. Play-Doh with all these different colors. We've got pictures of them drawing, doing art, making unicorns, painting. One time we gave them just boxes. I remember they mm-hmm, just had like boxes, mm-hmm. scissors, and glue. And that your, your living room just turned into like a recycling
1: center is what it looked like.
0: <laughs> but I love that about the two of them too, that they all just spend hours together yeah. creating and crafting.
1: Yeah, I, I have a feeling that's exactly what they'll be doing Sunday. Elsa likes to say. So, of course, first she asks if she can have iPad time, and I try to tell her, like, no, let's let's take a break from the screens. And then the next thing is, okay, I'll just go make some art in my room. <laughs> right,
0: that's it. And Zoe's room too, now bears the marks, uh, the scars of her art. The scars I, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to live in this house forever because if we move, I don't know how we will redeem the place where she does art. I've given up completely. I mean, there's just paint everywhere, like all over (laughs) the countertop she uses, all over the cupboards. And it's kind of beautiful. It really looks like a mini art artist studio she actually when amy left she gave zoe a bunch of easels so now she has like the ones she had and all of Amy's. so she has easels set up everywhere canvases everywhere she's really fun too because we have a gallery wall in our living room that has some of her pieces of art but she will update them so she'll be looking at them and months will go by and she'll be displeased and i'll arrive home from work and there'll be a whole new like There was a cherry blossom we had in our gallery wall, cherry blossom tree. And I came home the other day and it has way more blossoms now. Like it's just on fire, like spring (laughs) swept through. And she told me, did you notice? Had to add some more blossoms. I don't know. What was I thinking? That tree was so (laughs) bare. (laughs)
1: wonderful. She, well, maybe she's adding blossoms with the season now that, you know, the trees are, <laughs> are filling out. I but, have to say, though, I'm okay. So, of course, I'm excited to see you, um, Elsa. Uh, as I noted, is I I know, excited to see Zoe. I'm um, super excited to see Peter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, you do, you nerds.
1: Right? So, um, yeah, Peter and I connect uh, we're a lot alike i yes. think peter and i and I, so that makes sense to me well, that you and i are the same enneagram and, number
0: you both right. like, really love to to study to read to learn mm-hmm. to talk mm-hmm. to discuss mm-hmm. to teach you're both professors yeah.
1: Yeah. So every time you have mentioned to me, just little hints you've dropped, not as hints, but I have picked up on them as hints. Um, you've often told me over the years, Oh, Peter's outside, um, working in the garden or Peter's outside trying to figure out this part of our yard or Peter wants to ask you a question about, um, screen plantings for screening. And, and every time you mention that, I think, Oh man, I just, um, I just want like a day with Peter to talk plants, gardens, <laughs> garden design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I even, I need to send Peter um, more information about my garden club because I think Peter would like oh, my my garden yes. community. So I'm going to do that as well. But we actually have a plan for this Sunday. I feel like... um I've often wanted to talk gardens with Peter in the past, but when we get together, there's just so much, right? I know. Like he and there's Jonathan want to connect, cover. and yeah, this maybe is why they have we some. have to
0: live next door. I mean, it just exactly. feels like it's I, yeah. the only solution.
1: I want Peter to be my neighbor because then there'd be plenty of time to talk about gardens. But we we've made a plan that this Sunday we will actually, because it's springtime, it's a good time for planting, and I'm even hoping. Um, I know he's expressed interest in that in this, so I'm hoping first to like walk him around my garden. Show the plants I have, talk to him about what he's thinking, and then t- actually take him to one of our local nurseries, garden centers, yes, he's and kind of so wander excited. the outdoor aisles with him. Yeah. So oh, I am so so mentally
0: preparing to release you and not hog you <laughs> and be like... Pete? Because when I'm with you, when I was there last week, he just texted all the time. Could you ask Christy this? Could you show Christy this plant that's dying? Should you ask Christy? And so I was like, okay, you got to let Pete and Christy have time to talk gardens. (laughs) You and Christy had a lot of time last week. So I am already excited that you and he can go shopping together. And it was funny because where you live, I know there's a lot of wonderful plant nurseries. There's some that are a lot more inexpensive. Um, But you had texted me and said, you know the ones near us might not be any less expensive than what's near you, Lisa Joe. And I laughed and said, "We live right outside of Baltimore and DC. We have Lowe's and Home Depot. Like <laughs> whatever you have is going to have a lot more choice than what we have here, even if That's the prices true. are the same." So we're very excited. So yes, yeah, Sunday Bakers are hanging out with the Pure Voice for the day, and going to talk all things garden which mm-hmm. as we know from our conversation last week does feel like you're actually having a conversation about magic.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes, magic, enchantment, the unseen things showing up in our visible places. Yes, yes, so is this a, is this a hint because I don't I don't know too much about the the friend you're bringing to the table today, Lisa Joe. So remember, <laughs> oh we're, we're bringing book friends to the well, table now.
0: I find it's very difficult choosing each week. That's one of the hardest things for me. I really do feel like when I'm standing in front of my bookshelves, I feel like I'm standing in front of a bunch of friends and then deciding who to bring. And to it feels like choose. I'm insulting some of <laughs> yeah. them if I don't bring yeah. them all. Like, who gets to come this week? And it's also <laughs> kind of like... What friend's going to be a downer? Is it going to be a sad book that's going to bring everyone down? Which friend is going to make us all laugh? You know, right. like, It kind of feels like a dinner party and you're trying to plan right, well. Right, choosing the right guest list. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, based on our conversation last week where we had this really beautiful conversation, if you haven't yet, please go back and listen. I'm so biased, but it it's one of my favorite ones we've had about books because we didn't just talk about one book. We talked about the genre of fairy tale. And how fairy tales are constantly operating to open our eyes to an unseen world around us that is still very visceral and has an impact on our lives. And as believers, um, we believe that this isn't a fairy tale. We believe that really God invites us to have the eyes to see a spiritual world that's happening all around us. So I love a book that's able to pick up those threads. I was looking at all my books. I have some really funny ones I very much want to bring, but I also wanted to tease out a little bit further this conversation about fairy tale. And so I'm bringing to the table, if I could pick people to ha- to meet in real life, like this would be my fangirl moment. I know I'm not alone. It's not an original choice. But here he is, Mr. C.S. Lewis himself, my favorite. But now you're wondering, but which book are you going to choose? Because there are so many. First, I just have to tell you, like, I'm a serious C.S. Lewis fangirl. People probably know he went by the name Jack is what people called him. And it's one of the reasons my son is named Jackson. Like, that is how much I love (laughs) him, C.S. Lewis. And I don't know if you know this, but in Old English, uh, Jack is actually a nickname for John. Mm. So if your name was John, they'd often call you Jack. Things that are illogical, I think, but that's just how it was. So Peter's middle name is John. So our son Jack is Jackson, which is like son of John, but also touches on C.S. Lewis. So anyway, just giving my C.S. Lewis credentials, my fan club (laughs) credentials here. Now, the Narnia series, of course, is the one everybody's the most familiar with, which I have enjoyed, but it isn't the one that I want to sit down and talk to him about for hours. I want to talk to him about what I consider to be the grown-up version of the Narnia series. And that is his Space Trilogy, is what it's called. There are three books, Ah. Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra and That Hideous Strength that he wrote— But my favorite one that I humbly bring to the table today is the book called Paralandra, which I feel like I don't really like that name. Originally, I don't know if you know this, its original name was Voyage to Venus.
1: Oh, that does sound familiar. Do you you know why it was changed?
0: In a later printing, I believe they renamed it. Paralandra, but I'm not sure of all the details or if I'm even getting that right. But I have always known it as Voyage to Venus because that's what my mom called it. And it's one of the books that lived on her bookshelf, the sacred bookshelf, wow. where I would always ask, am I ready for this book? Am I ready for this book? And I read Voyage to Venus off of her bookshelf. And I I love it so much because as we know, Lewis is a big believer in this idea of what he calls the deep magic. So Mm -hmm. this idea that there is a God, there are spiritual beings, the universe is more than what you can see with your physical natural eye. And yet, if you have the eyes to see, there is this whole rich world living around you. And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, Voyage to Venus is the book where he most beautifully overlays these two worlds that we live in, the physical world and the spiritual world, in this blend of really, I think, deep theology. And I'm i am not the first one to say that. Obviously, much smarter people than me teach whole courses and podcasts and you name it, deep dives on C.S. Lewis. But for me, Voyage to Venus is one of the most beautiful uses of What I think people call our holy imagination, right? As if, you know, using our imagination to ask God to reveal to us how could we communicate some deep truths that are based on scripture in an original way? So there you go. Voyage to Venus.
1: Mm, Oh, I'm excited. So I'll, I'll share. Well, I'm excited because this, yes, this seems like a great follow-up to last week's conversation, which I also enjoyed so much. And I know I heard from so many listeners this week who really resonated with that one too. So, I'm excited for that reason and also because I have read these books, um, although it has been many years, and I have a feeling I will want to reread them after talking with you. So, I'm at least familiar with them. I don't remember a lot of the details, but… there that's okay because, as we always say for these episodes, um it doesn't matter if you haven't read these books. it doesn't matter if you if you know yeah. like hey, I'm busy right now, I'm actually not going to go pick this yeah, up if you never read the conversation, it, we... yes. yeah, will be worthwhile, regardless, but um, I'm excited to hear you share about it, and I'm sure it will jog my memory as we go. but yeah, I want to hear more about like why why this one, yeah, not only yeah. why this series but why this particular one, What is it that really like grabs you? Well, let me start with this, I think
0: um. Often the trope we see in movies a lot, especially these days, there seem to be a new plethora of movies about space travel, or yeah, you know, the first yeah. man to land on the moon or you know missions to Mars. I think as human beings, we recognize there's something bigger than us. And mm. space is the perfect metaphor for that. I mean, and not just metaphor, it's literally. Bigger than us. It's incomprehensible. (laughs) It's beyond our math capabilities. Mm -hmm. We are trying to navigate through a An unknown quantity is how space is. And so I think there's a reason that we see all these movies about space. And I recently watched on Netflix, there's a new movie called Castaway. That is literally my worst nightmare. Okay. There's a a tech, uh, you know, an engineer working on a NASA space flight. Oh, no.
1: Wait, wait. Let me guess. So I have, I know nothing about this movie, I know nothing about your worst nightmare. But I'm wondering, is it also my worst nightmare? Does he like get detached and float away? <laughs>
0: no, but that is, that would be the oh, worst. Okay. He okay. doesn't. <laughs> so he's not actually supposed to be on this mission. He is just an engineer on ground control. He's doing oh, final. Oh
1: no, you, away. Oh yes. no.
0: Yes. He, oh wait, see, I. that's my problem. I used the wrong word. It would have been floating away if, Castaway. No, the title of the film is actually Stowaway.
1: Oh, can you guess no. what happens? <laughs> oh, no. Okay, second worst nightmare right there. Yeah. Yes. What is
0: it? <laughs> I mean, you can guess now, right? I used so to he
1: accidentally words. gets yes. carried off on. Yes. <gasps> yes. <laughs>
0: horrifying so he is like working on doing some repair and some accident happens he gets knocked unconscious and he's trapped up in this weird compartment of the spacecraft which jackson and i agreed we could not imagine would happen okay with nasa and all of its technology so that is like a huge suspension of disbelief right in the beginning but go with us he gets trapped (laughs) in this compartment once the rocket has taken off and been traveling for 2 days in space, <gasps> they discover him. So now is here's a person now who's going to affect everything. Oxygen consumption, food consumption, oh. everything to do with the vitality and viability of the mission is now compromised because there's a person who should not be there, okay? Mm-hmm. Worst nightmare ever being trapped in space where right. you are not wanted, and there's literally no oxygen for you, okay? It's so terrible. Why are you talking about this, Lisa Joe? Because there is a scene, several scenes from the spacecraft looking back at Earth. Oh, The first moment where this poor guy, this stowaway, wakes up, realizes what's happened, and looks out. And he's like millions of miles away from home looking back at Earth, and he has a full-on panic attack. And I just thought, yes, that seems like the appropriate reaction to have in this moment <laughs> because it's so far. But it gives you a tiny glimpse into the vast mightiness of space, which Lewis plumbs in this trilogy. It's called the Space Trilogy. The tiny lay of the land is this. The first book is about a trip to a planet— that we might not have heard of in the solar system where the main character encounters beings that we maybe in our limited understanding and imagination of aliens look like aliens, right? They're, they don't look like human beings, but they are not violent. They're all part of this created order of gods. The second book, Voyage to Venus, the same character, his name is Ransom. He gets sent to the planet Venus where God has just created a, a new Adam, and a new Eve. The first two people on a completely new planet are now, Lewis uses them to retell our creation story as if we were there to help us imagine what might have happened. And there is a tempter who's there, and the woman becomes separated from the man. And there is this evil creature Tempting her to disobey God. And then there is this character, Ransom, this man, this professor from Oxford who has (laughs) been sent by God to Venus to meet the woman and to essentially reason with her, to have conversation, to try to convince her not to disobey. It is a mighty act of theater to play out what that could have looked like. Because in Genesis, what we get is just this few verses. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. Voyage to Venus does is, is imagine what if that actually transpired over days or weeks? What if there were hours and hours of conversation between the evil voice, the creature, the snake tempting her, and the Eve? Because bear in mind, she would have had no language. For sin, for disobedience, for death—none of these would have been part of her vocabulary. So, how do you talk to her <laughs> oh, about what is on the other side of this choice if she literally has no concept for those words? Hmm. Hmm. That's the wow. scene of this book.
1: Oh, I love that. So, um, and I, and I didn't actually remember. That it's so much, I didn't remember that that's the drama and that it's about conversation. And I was just telling someone, I was talking, um, as one does, I was talking about poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Anyhow, um, she was a poet, actually, so we were talking about poetry. And um, I was saying how I, I love poetry because it makes language so we get used to the words we have Mm -hmm. and so we get used to thinking in the ways that our words are designed to help us think and I love poetry because it makes language, it uses ordinary words, ordinary moments, but it makes language strange again so that we just notice it again, we see it again and so then we're able to think in almost like between the lines kinds of ways that is hard to do in our ordinary, you know, talking and living and so this sounds like something that C.S. Lewis is maybe able to do mm-hmm. here, like, by li- almost by limiting himself, like, mm-hmm. how do I talk about these things without using the words we're so overly familiar with? Right Now we're going to, I think I think, get understanding of something that actually sometimes our our handy word that just correlates perfectly doesn't actually help us do. Right. Um, how it, fun. It gives you a fresh wind, I feel like. It breathes
0: fresh life into old ideas, old words, especially as people like you and I who've grown up in the church our whole lives, who've heard these creation stories forever. This was so jarring to read and think again about how shocking it was that there's a God who created human beings in his image, in a paradise. There's such beautiful description where Lewis imagines what this new planet is like, what the fruit is like, and the flowers, how he writes about it, just— there's a great scene where he's describing eating from this tree. Now, remember in Genesis, it talks about how there was trees, um, fruit-bearing plants of all mm-hmm. kinds. There was so much that was all available to the man and the woman.
1: Right. And it's actually described as, a, I remember this because uh, it meant so much to me particularly, it's described as a garden of trees. Yes. So, I always kind of think yes. like it's kind of like more like an arboretum than like yes. a rose garden. <laughs> so beautiful. And as someone who struggles
0: with Enough. Like you've had enough of whatever, Lisa Joe. You've had enough nerds. You've had enough airheads. You've had enough, even enough strawberries. Like I want to keep eating them. You've had enough cream with your strawberries. You've had enough TV. Like I think as human beings, is an enough is a concept that's very difficult for us to say, we've had enough. I'm full. I'm satisfied. If it's good, we want to keep going. Well, yeah. there's a scene where Ransom is in Venus and he's eating from this tree. And of course, imagine, right? Trees that are from a garden that is at its most righteous and fruitful and holy and new and beautiful. And he describes what that fruit is like. He describes eating it. He describes how incredible it feels, tastes, smells. And how when he's finished, he looks back at the tree and there's a sense where he realizes on Earth, I would want to eat more. Like that would be the instinct. It was so good. I need to keep going. Mm -hmm. And yet in this new planet, He is able to recognize enoughness, fullness, satisfaction, wholeness, right? Shalom in in the word in Hebrew, like there's a completeness now. And there are moments like that that capture, I think, a heart of what maybe God had in mind when he created a planet that was designed for our flourishing to give us fullness and abundance— But with that comes this idea of enough, like what is enough? So that's one of those small moments where I feel like he's able to explode my mind with new ideas like a great poet to help me see in a way I haven't before. And in in that respect, so remember the scene I'm describing in Stowaway where he's looking back at earth and he has this completely shattered new perspective he did not choose as he looks at earth. Well, Ransom, our main character, has that experience when he travels to these other planets. And the first book that's called Out of the Silent Planet is important for the second one because it's some knowledge that Ransom learns about our planet Earth. He has this moment of looking back at Earth, and he learns from these creatures on the other planets that they call Earth the Silent Planet. Do you remember this? Uh
1: I don't. Oh, it's
0: so great.
1: Why why would they call I think of it as like surely it's the noisy place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's because they are living in a place where spirits and angels and heavenly beings are real and each planet is assigned an angel, this divine being that communicates with the other angels from the other planets that oversees this planet and loves it and speaks up for it and communicates from it and what's happening on it and the work mm-hmm. God is doing there. But follow Lewis's thoughts. Our angel has fallen. He's gone dark. Oh, he, wow. We live on the silent planet where there is not an angel anymore bearing witness to what is happening in the silence down below.
1: Oh, Lisa Joe, So, wow. I did not remember that at all. And it reminds me, um, and I, I looked this up, I think, last week because we were talking about fairy tales and we even wor- used, I think, the word enchantment, mm. which is a word that um, in its etymology and its history is connected to a Latin like contere or something. I'm trying to pull from long ago Latin lessons. But essentially, it's connected to this word about singing Really? So, yeah, yeah. So there's this idea, you know, so you can kind of see in the history, like if it was used once to talk about magic spells, maybe those spells were sung and, you know, so there's some connections there, but now it holds this idea of, of singing that I think actually is, is really significant that part of maybe re-enchanting reality in order n- not not to like cast magic spells but right. in order to see again or hear again the 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 full picture the full spiritual wow. reality that that we might sing songs over it that mm-hmm. we might bless it with words and music and um and so how poignant that our planet now under the kind of the dominion of this fallen Spirit, fallen angel, wouldn't be like I think. If I I think if I were writing this story, I would have made it like noisy and horrible because I love quiet. But actually, how devastating is silence when there should be words of blessing and words of of um, literally like coming from this you know this place of enchantment. Yeah. yeah, I think often of those
0: scenes in Revelation, which are a bit weird to my brain to comprehend, yes. where it describes how the angels literally sing day sing and night, all day time. and night, glory, glory, glory oh. is the Lord most high. And I've often thought that is so weird, like, how, when do they go to the bathroom? When do they eat? Like, <laughs> My brain has always struggled with that concept. But this book unpacks that in these scenes we get to see in Venus, this planet, this new planet— that has a new angel who is speaking on behalf of the planet, what it might look like to have them do exactly that, sing songs of praise mm. and worship and adoration to God. This whole oh. planet is, is worshiping in a way that, like on a spiritual plane, that earth is perceived in the story not to do anymore. Right.
1: And it's why
0: <gasps> Christ was sent into the silent planet. Like, the god had to come himself to go. I know. Look at, I wish you could see Christy's face, you guys. She looks like she's going to cry. Because <laughs> that's what a great story does. And Christy, yeah. this is one of the moments that I'll just is so beautiful. When Ransom arrives on Venus, he is expecting to meet creatures that don't look like human beings. Because when he has been to other planets, they haven't looked like a human form. But when he gets there... The woman, he never meets the man in the beginning. They have become separated, the man and the Mm. woman. So the woman is being tempted alone, not separated through choice. They've like lost each other on this big new planet. When he meets her, she is in the shape of a human woman. She Mm. looks like a woman, except, and this is a lovely twist that Lewis adds, her skin color is not white or black or tan. It's green, so she's oh. like green colored, okay? Isn't that interesting? But she's in the shape of a human still. And when Ransom asks her, "Why? Why are you? Like, why are you <laughs> why this you shape? Like, like I've traveled to other planets, I don't understand." She looks at him like he's crazy, and she goes, "Because this is the form." And he goes, what do you mean? And she goes, it's the form. It is the body. It is the body that the Christ took. Why would anybody (gasps) be any other shape afterwards? (laughs) I just want to start crying. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I like really creation beautiful. then is like, why would we be anything other than the shape that Jesus was? It's
1: so oh, beautiful. That does make me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: And they're just wow. like moment after moment after moment in this book like that, where it once again, Lewis, just with this unbelievable holy imagination, is able to give you back. I think this is what great writing does. It gives you back your own story. Right? Yeah. yeah. But with completely fresh eyes. So you look at your own story and you're like, oh, wow, being a human (laughs) is really astonishing. Mm -hmm. It's powerful and beautiful. And so that's the setup. Ransom comes to Venus, he meets the new Eve. There's an evil creature there who is very rational in how he talks to her about. Temptation, essentially, what he's trying to trick her into doing. And there's Ransom trying desperately to talk her out of it um, without having language because he can't use words like sin or evil or disobedience. She doesn't he he in Lewis is so wonderful. He uses this concept of when they talk about the will, the will of God, she's familiar with that. Her whole world revolves around that. She wants to be in the will of God. And so he tries to explain to her that there's such a thing as what he calls the bent will, where the will of God has bent. Bent, she understands. She can see a branch bend. She can see the bend in a river. And so he has this fascinating conversation where he's trying to translate terms like evil by using words like bent will, which does what a poet does then, gets in the head of the reader and helps me understand, oh, sin isn't some abstract thing that has nothing to do with God, sin is bending. It's something in me bending away from what God is saying is the best for me. It's not something God's trying to keep from me. It's something that God is saying, wait, you're bending away now from me and from who I am. So I feel like I have to read a passage at least out of this book, and I think I'm, I'm going to start surprisingly quite early in the book because what happens is Ransom has to travel to Venus, and he doesn't have NASA or a spacecraft. God is going to send Ransom to Venus, okay? Okay. He needs help, though, to get into this. It's not a spacecraft. His friend just says it looks like a coffin, like this box that he has built that he has to get shut into and that God is now going to transport into space to deliver Ransom. To Venus. So he asks a friend, a trusted friend, to come to his house to meet him, to help him with this. And the friend is one of the only people who knows what has happened to Ransom before, how he has visited these other planets. But when the friend arrives, he has to make his way from the train station. And I love it because here's the intersection of the two worlds. It's so British. You know, it's like coming from Paddington train station. And then he has to make his way and he has to walk up a lane into the cottage. And when he gets there, Ransom's not there. There's a note. I'm coming. Please wait for me. But this friend, as he's having these completely normal experiences, it's a dark night, it's windy, it's cold, it's overcast, he starts to feel like that chill up his spine we all feel. He feels afraid. His mind gets overwhelmed with like doubts and fears and horrors he can't even put name to. And he feels all the time like, this is so foolish. I'm a grown-up. Why am I having these feelings of fear? And he's trying to write it off like it's nothing. It's his imagination. And yet... The deeper he presses into these so-called ordinary experiences of fear, the heavier his mind grows and the bigger his doubt to help Ransom is happening in his own head. And so there's a scene now where Ransom finally arrives back home and he's talking to his friend and the friend is sort of embarrassed now to admit that he, he felt scared like a child. And uh, this is their interaction that I think speaks to my everyday too. "'By Jove, I'm glad to see you,' said Ransom, advancing and shaking hands with me. "'I'd hoped to be able to meet you at the station, but everything has had to be arranged in such a hurry, and I found at the last moment that I'd got to go up to Cambridge. I never intended to leave you to make that journey alone.' Then, seeing, I suppose, that I was still staring at him rather stupidly, he added, "'I say, you are all right, aren't you? You got through the barrage without any damage.' The barrage? I don't understand. I was thinking you would have met some difficulties in getting here. Oh, that, I said. You mean it wasn't just my nerves? There there really was something in the way? Yes. They didn't want you to get here. I was afraid something of the sort might happen, but there was no time to do anything about it. I was, I was pretty sure you'd get through somehow. By they... You mean the others, our own fallen angels? Of course, they got wind of what's on hand. I interrupted him. To tell you the truth, Ransom, I said, I'm I'm getting more worried every day about this whole business. It came into my head as I was on my way here. Oh, they'll put all sorts of things into your head if you let them, said Ransom lightly. The best plan is to take no notice and keep straight on. Don't try to answer them. They like drawing you into an interminable argument. But look here, said I, this isn't child's play. Are you quite certain that this this dark lord really exists? Do you know for certain either that there are two sides or which side is ours? He fixed me suddenly with one of his mild but strangely formidable glances. You are in real doubt about either, are you? He asked no, said I, after a pause, and felt rather ashamed. That's all right, then, said Ransom cheerfully. Now, let's get some supper, and I'll explain as we go along.
1: Oh, that's good. And, Lisa Jo, that really does remind me. You said that these books were like Narnia for adults, and that's a, an issue that comes up in Narnia and the in the children's stories about sides, and you yep. know, I'm thinking of Edmund and the White yep. Witch. Like, well, how do we really know? Like, whose side? Who is the good side? Right. And whose side are we on? And right. who do we believe? And of course, those are questions with real like spiritual import for us too. Right. So, oh, I love that. I just love it too because I think it reminds
0: us, for our listeners, that dark thought that you're having. That fear, that weight of exhaustion or despair that sometimes you wake up under, that anxiety that constantly gnaws at you. And I don't mean to discount mental health issues, which are real, and in our family we've dealt with them too, but let us also not discount the impact of the spiritual world around us. Let us not just assume that our thoughts are always benign, Mm. but that there are things that are at war against us, and sometimes just... Calling those out, just saying, No, like, no, <laughs> get out of my mind, no, mm-hmm. and just recognizing that Jesus too is real is a very powerful act. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we aren't willing to acknowledge that there's a world that's really rich around us. And half of it, well, I guess I don't know how much of it, part of it is at war against us. But I love Ransom, right? He's like, Don't engage. Don't talk to <laughs> it, keep move on. through it, recognize yeah. it's attacking you and keep going. Move on. And then the book, of course, narrows its focus because once you're on Venus, there is Ransom, the voice of life and truth, and there is the dark evil creature, that voice personified, right, in a body now. And there's this really powerful scene, Christy, where Ransom and this creature that's also in the shape of a human, Right are constantly having these verbal sparring matches with one another, but then trying to talk to Eve. And Ransom as a human is exhausted and he has to sleep at night. But this evil creature is embodied by these evil spirits that don't need rest. So, it never sleeps. So, when he tries to sleep, it's like it's terrible torture. It just sits next to him and all night as he starts to drift off and a new mom with a baby knows this feeling— as he starts to fall asleep, it just goes, ransom, ransom. And it just says his name like throughout oh. the night so, it can't, so he can't sleep. Oh. And he describes how he feels like he's going to go crazy, but the only thing that helps him get through it is that his name is Ransom. And every time this evil creature speaks his name, it is a literal reminder of the Christ that came and ransomed his planet. And how he wants to be part of now protecting this new planet from being held hostage in the same way. It's just so beautiful. And I'm going to end here. I mean, take us to the end of the story. I'm not going to give away what happens. I'll simply say there's this incredible scene at the end where you have really a spiritual chorus is singing. Um, All of these beings from the planet are singing about their God, our God, (laughs) And they have this beautiful description of him that's incredibly powerful about how, you know, as human beings, and I was talking about this on social media this week, we really have terrible definitions for success. So speaking about words, right, for success, for accomplishment, for worth, our words are so sad and so muted when it comes to our understanding of those words we associate them with words like fame or celebrity or power yeah. or wealth which is a complete misunderstanding of any kind of worth as seen through the eyes of our creator and in this scene there's this, just this beautiful description so what's happening is it's a chorus of praises that they're singing and so each each verse has some new character of god that they are worshiping. They're calling it out. It's so beautiful. All of these different diverse qualities of God that they are worshiping. And there's this one line that I could not get over that's very, very powerful. It says, um, and they call God, there's a word that they use, they call him maleldil, but I think that might be confusing for people, so I'm just gonna use the word God. But reader, when you get to this book, you'll understand why some of the language is different. But they say this, where God is, there is the center. He is in every place, not some of Him in one place and some in another, but in each place, the whole of God, even in the smallness beyond thought. There is no way out of the center, save into the bent will, which casts itself into the nowhere. Blessed be He, each thing was made for Him. He is the center. Because we are with Him, each of us is at the center. It is not as in a city of the darkened world where they say that each must live for all. In his city, all things are made for each. When he died when he died in the wounded world, he died not for me, but for each man. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. Each thing, from the single grain of dust to the strongest angel, is the end and the final cause of all creation, and the mirror in which the beam of His brightness comes to rest and so returns to Him. Blessed be He. (laughs) And for me, it's that line, if each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. Like this concept that God loved each individual so deeply that he came, he would have come if it was just Mm -hmm. you or just Mm -hmm. me, and that each grain of sand, each thing of creation that he has made is a reflection back of his goodness and his greatness and his light and his beauty. And my word, if you want to recapture the mystery of a God who pours himself in to creating something that reflects himself, right? Which is what we are as human beings. You have to go and read this book Mm because it will just blow your mind. Even preparing for today again, I found myself with chills and sadness and just deeply moved about how much God loves us, which I think we just skate over easily these days. We've just heard the stories too often. We need a Lewis to come and tell us the exact same story (laughs) with all new words.
1: That's right. And I think the mark of a really excellent fantasy or fairy tale like we've been talking about is that it carries you to this faraway strange place. Mm. And then by the end, you've returned home, (laughs) kind of like in that poem we read last week. You've returned home, but now you are sure of who you are and of your purpose. So, I um, am leaving today's conversation by remembering that part of my purpose, as I live out of the center of God's love, as as that song described, is to sing, is to not let this place any longer be silent, Mm. but to sing words of blessing, songs of praise, um, affirmations of who God is and who we are and how good this creation is. And I can do that with with writing, with storytelling, with conversation, and with planting trees and growing my <laughs> garden. And, and that yes. too is a participation in the song. And so, uh, as we live that way, then this, this earth is no longer silent, but yeah. is echoing, echoing with the yeah. songs it was always meant to sing.